0: Praise the Lord that God is uh, the God of the ages who is not taken off guard by anything. He is in control and we can trust in Him. Our junior church young people can be dismissed at this time. Cross the hallway there for a time in God's Word as we go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I trust you are abounding in hope and not because you just feel especially hopeful or your coffee was extra good this morning although that's fine, but I trust you're abounding in hope because of the truth of the Word of God that you are depending upon. And if you're not abounding, I trust that God will help you get there this morning as we continue to look at this theme of a lively hope in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank God for the hope that is alive through Jesus because of the resurrection. You know, we have hope. We had a funeral just recently. Brother Beck is here and his son and, and, and daughter-in-law. Uh, we sorrow, but those, uh, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Amen, brother? Uh, God is good, and we have hope uh, that we will see our loved ones again. And uh, what, a, what a blessing that is to us. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been working through this book uh, verse by verse, taking it as it comes. And uh, it has been a blessing to me. I hope it has been to you as well. As God's Word just laid out before us seems to just cover everything. All you have to do is work through it verse by verse. You're going to eventually get to every topic. And God's timing on that is impeccable. We're looking at a verse. uh, We're looking at a passage uh, that uh, gives us a verse from which I got the title of this morning's message. Uh, we're calling it, Living the Good Life and Loving It. All right. Now with a title like that, I, we might go viral. Uh, if I preach too many like that, I'm going to need to move to Texas and uh, work on my big cheesy grin. Uh, but this comes straight out of the text. All right, Straight out of the text, we're looking at uh, verse 8 through 12. We looked at the first part last time. Uh, and we'll finish this, Lord willing, today. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion in one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Back to verse 10. This is where we get our, our title. For he that will love life and see good days, let him do the following. All right, so we're looking at, the, uh, again, the, the idea of living the good life and loving it. You know, the world talks a lot about living the good life. But they don't know anything about the good life without the Word of God, without the, the Holy Spirit to guide, without the Savior, Jesus Christ. A word of review here for a moment. Uh, simply, we have been looking at the matter of subjection, submission, And uh, we've seen Peter's instructions on submission within society at large, then boiling it down to the workplace, then moving in closer to the home. And he brings it uh, even closer to home by instructing us to uh, submit one to another within the church. And we saw last week that an individual who is submitted to Jesus Christ will also submit to one another and will regard one another in a manner that the Lord Jesus regarded others uh, we'll regard others and we'll respond to others with meekness as the Lord Jesus did. And, and uh, we will regard others in this, with the same mindset as the Lord Jesus. And that was last week's message. Finally, be of all one mind, uh, having compassion, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, etc. This is how we treat one another when we're submitted to Christ and therefore submitted one to another. And when you are rightly submitted you truly have the opportunity to live the good life and love it. Now, uh, submission gets a bad rap in our day. If you submit to authorities, oh, you're going to have a terrible life. If you submit to rules, rules are so constrictive, and uh, these governmental systems and everything, the the human nature says throw off the shackles of oppression, of of authority, and, and just express yourself, and so forth. But the Bible says if we'll submit to God and God-ordained authorities and submit to others uh, within this context, he says we can really truly live a good life and love life. I think that there is freedom. There is freedom within biblical submission. The world says that living the good life <clears throat> is about Looking out for number one. That's what they say, right? You want a good life? Look out for number one. Or you only live once. Or people say, you do you. Whatever that means. And then we all do what everybody else does. Isn't that funny? Yeah. You do you. And then I go buy what everybody else is buying, where everybody else is wearing. Yeah, Biggest lie. Express yourself. And yeah, nobody's doing that either. They're really trying to, but they can't find out who they are. People say, live for the moment. The world's philosophy about living the good life and loving it is a very empty one. But you know, the world comes very close on some of those statements. Look out for number one. Well, if you define number one as God, then you nailed it, right? Uh, You only live once. If you take that phrase and apply it toward uh, engaging in eternal values, well, you nailed it again. Live for the moment. That's not all bad if you're living moment by moment in dependence upon the Spirit of God, following His Word, engaging in life, getting the most out of the opportunities uh, and the relationships that surround you. See, the world's actually pretty close, but since they take God out, they miss the boat. God gives us in His Word this morning the formula for living the good life and loving it. So, do you want to live a good life? Do you want to love life? Well, uh, the Bible says, he that will love life and see good days, I've got some, some words for you, a formula for you. First of all, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that speak no guile. Number one, if we're going to live the good life and love it, you need to practice Restraint. That doesn't seem to work. I thought you're talking about living the good life. I thought you're talking about, you know, loving life. And the first, number one on the pathway to living the good life is practice restraint. Uh, this guy, where'd he dream this up? Well, I'm just getting it from the text. Restraint is a big part of living a life of fulfillment and satisfaction. You know, uh, I, I want us to look at this in in two respects. This matter of restraint. First, just restraint in general, and then specifically the idea of refraining your speech, restraining your lips. First of all, restraint in general is a good thing. Paul, the apostle, said in 1 Corinthians 9 27 But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was one who kept himself under. Restraint was good. And, and why? Is, it, is, is there something spiritual about refraining from this and refraining from that? Do you get more brownie points with God the more restraint you have? No, no, no. It's just, if I want to go this way, things over here aren't over here. Okay, so if I want to go this way, I've got to get rid of the stuff that pulls me that way. It's a matter of knowing what you want in life. It's a matter of knowing where you're going in life and setting your sails that direction. And so I'm going to restrain certain appetites. I'm going to restrain myself from certain impulses. I'm going to refrain myself from this or that. I'm going to keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest I get diverted from my life's goal. It's a very spiritual thing to do, but it's also something that people do who aren't even spiritual at all. Athletes do this do they not do they bring under their body and bring it into subjection i i uh i saw a little uh, interview some hollywood actor was getting in shape for a superhero role and he signed a contract of so many superhero movies so the next six years of his life he's going to have to be eating chicken and lifting dumbbells and all this and they said well what do you think about that and he started like moaning He said. I've had, I, I have to give up beer for the next six years, you know. And he was, oh, this is terrible. I have to give up my beer. Well, why was he giving up beer? Because he loves the Lord? Uh, no. He was giving up the beer because he had to trade out the beer belly for the six-pack abs so he could be this guy on the, on the big screen, right? Even the world understands if you want to go a certain direction, then you have to give up other directions. And yet we Christians struggle with that. We Christians say, hey, I've got Christ now. I've got a home in heaven and I've got Christian liberty and I should be able with my liberty and grace to do whatever I want and still love God and still be a good parent and still be a good Christian. It doesn't work like that, friend. It doesn't work like that for the, for the lost world and it certainly doesn't work like that for the child of God. Paul said that he could yet become a castaway, a has-been, A statistic. He could become that guy that they all talk about. Do you remember Paul? Oh, Paul. He had so much potential. Oh, that one message he preached. Oh, was so good. Oh, what happened to Paul? Now you know that we've said that about preachers in our day. And people have said that about preachers in every single day. But it was not said about Paul in his day. Why? Because God put some bubble around him No, no, no. He was human. He exercised restraint. He understood if I'm going to live the good life, the life that God has for me to live, if I'm going to love life, have joy, peace, no regrets, no guilt, I've got to keep my body uh, disciplined. Restraint is the fruit of discipline and character. Restraint is that which keeps you from harm hindrances and humiliation yeah without restraint you could eat some humble pie friend you could experience some shame that you never saw coming restraints are good though restraints are admittedly restrictive they are ultimately freedom they're 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 ultimately freeing i should say Teenagers hate rules. They hate when mom says, be home at this time. And, oh, my parents are so restraining. But you know, those restraints mean that there's love. Those restraints mean that they care about you and there's freedom. There was a football player. He was a running back, and he was a huge high school prospect, very much in shape. Got a college, uh, d- not college degree, a college scholarship. He was going to go play football on a scholarship. And he went down to his basement to pump iron. Of course, he didn't need any of those wimpy spotter bars. You guys know what I'm talking about? When you're laying down on a bench press, there's these iron rods that you can adjust so that if you lose control of that bar, it comes down and it stops on the spotter bars. It's a restraint. And some guys don't like them. Ah, it inhibits my range of motion. I can't get down as far as I want to get. Ah, it's too restraining. Or some guys just think they have to hand in their man card uh, to use spotter bars. I don't know about this kid, but he did not use the spotter bars, and he was going for some crazy lift, and he was found with that bar across his chest, suffocated. Uh, he had the whole world ahead of him. The whole world, right? Well, the spotter bars might seem restraining, but at least when you get up, you're free. At least you're alive. And there are restraints in the Word of God. And young people especially, but every one of us here need to recognize that this is part of freedom. Godly restraint is good. The good life, the good life is a restrained life. Absence of restraint is chaos. It's good to say no to self. It's good to say no sometimes to others that are offering you that which is not not in the recipe here. Restraint is freeing. I want to ask you, do you ever practice restraint? I've been practicing some restraint since February. In February, I changed my diet and I drastically reduced my sugar intake. Oh, it's been rough. People said, oh, just give it two weeks, it'll be over. No. Three weeks, you won't, even, you won't even miss it. No. I'm still in a moderate sugar depression to this day. But I, I think it's a good restraint. So I bought, I bought some M&Ms, peanut M&Ms. You know, the little bag? And I've got some tucked away in my office. My kids don't know where they are. And I eat one peanut M&M per day. Just to torture myself? No. Honestly, well, my sweet tooth is still very much alive, okay? But honestly, it's been, a good, it's been a good discipline. Can I do one peanut M&M per day? I wouldn't recommend that. I'm probably driving myself insane. You know, though, we, we laugh at that. But the idea is, for many of us, we've been taught, and our culture teaches us, do what you want. If you want it, you deserve it. Just go for it. Grab it. But restraint is the first thing mentioned to living the good life and loving it. Why? I know where I'm going, and therefore I want to be disciplined and focused in getting there. But let's speak specifically to restraint in speech because it says, uh, uh, let, let, let let his lips speak no guile. Refrain his tongue from evil and his lips speak no guile. So specifically, restraint in speech is what's dialed in here in the text. Proverbs ten nineteen says, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. In other words, you want to find a pile of sin? Find a pile of words. There's sin in there, guaranteed. In the multitude of words, there is no lack of sin. So if you're a wise man, you'll refrain your lips. Proverbs 17, 28, this gives hope to any of us here. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. You don't have to necessarily have the degree. You might just need to close your mouth. <laughs> hey, it's simpler than you thought. Proverbs 29:11. a fool uttereth all his mind but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. James 3 is all about the tongue. And it says in verse 2, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect or complete man, and is able also to bridle the whole body. In other words, he's saying, if you have the discipline to discipline this, then you can discipline anything else in the body. And if you want to love life and see good days, You'll restrain your speech. Do not engage your mouth without engaging your brain. That's what these words are saying. Think before you speak, assess the appropriateness of what you're about to say to whom you're about to say it, and don't think that you owe anybody an immediate response. You don't have to answer every text that fast. You don't have to answer every comment on Facebook. You don't have to have the last word in every conversation, and every argument. Give them the last word. Let them walk away thinking that they won. It doesn't matter. What matters is you've got to have speech that is restrained because you're here for a bigger purpose. Practice delaying your response. I'm working on this. Verbal or electronic, I I am working on delaying my responses because if I respond right away without praying about it, without thinking about it, I oftentimes get my foot in my mouth. Take extra time. The wise man, the Bible says, studieth to answer. Now, also beware when you're tired, when your brain is tired, your lips get loose. Beware of those times and just close your mouth and recognize this is not a good time for me to speak. Discipline your speech daily and hold your speech accountable to the Word of God. We live as Americans in the day, as long as it lasts, of free speech. But did you know that free speech doesn't mean that you have the biblical right to wag your tongue all over the world? online or whatever. You still have to be accountable to the Word of God. There's a lot of things that are legal. But it doesn't mean that the Bible says there's no restraint to be had there. Hold your speech accountable to the Word of God. Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Colossians 4.6, Let your speech be, speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye answer every man. This means we're thinking about our speech, praying about our speech, asking God for the grace of God, for answers. Boy, if we would take this to heart, what would God do with our mouths? And also, what, might, what messes might we not get into in our lives? Don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. Galatians 5 tells us, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Are you living the good life and loving it? Well, I can tell you, if you have not embraced restraint, you're not living the good life that you could live. You don't understand what God has for you. Embrace restraint. Restrain your speech and recognize life tastes better when you're not eating your own words refrain your speech so number one if you're going to live the good life and love it practice restraint but secondly if you're going to live the good life and love it prefer good over evil verse 11 says let him eschew evil and do good what is that word eschew i love some of these old king james words because you have to you have to dig into what does this mean and so I dug in a little bit and I found this is a helpful, helpful word. I like this word. Proverbs 3 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. All right, this is the idea of having a godly perspective on what is right and what is wrong. Not proud. But having a humble fear of the Lord and saying, I want to get away from this evil. I want to get as far away from it as I can because I want the blessing of God. I want, I want the good life. Well, we've got to look at the meaning of this word eschew. I don't know if I'm saying it right. It sounds like somebody sneezed. Eschew, eschew, you know. Uh, we're not talking about sneezing. Uh, I, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Eschew, is that right? Anybody? Okay, we're going to go with it. The meaning means to turn oneself away from. But more than that, it means to turn in such a way as to be so, so repulsed by something, to instinctively or reflexively turn away. It's like a reflex. Have you ever had this? Have you ever eschewed something? I'm sure you have. I am sure you have. You come up upon something absolutely gross. And you don't even think about it. You just, ah, Yuck. The puppies that we've had, who, by the way, will be going home in one, e- one week, amen? Oh, we raised puppies, and now they are, are going to fly the coop. Uh, they have made some messes that have caused, when I walked into the puppy pen area, to just mm, turn. Uh, you don't think about it. It's a reflex, right? Or there's me and needles. I don't like needles. Never have light needles. Um, I know I'm a big guy but if you want to see all six foot five of me fall over, bring a needle toward me, and yep, we're done. Uh, I, I just, I, if we're watching a TV program and they got needles and blood, and ah, nope, nope, I am turning away from that. I just can't handle it, all right? Certain things we just eschew. Well, there are some things we should eschew because it's downright evil. We need to nurture those reflexes. I have not always done this. Uh, certainly, uh, there have been times I have failed at this. Uh, but I do thank the Lord for the measure of victory that I have had. I, I know I was at the basketball court growing up. I was at the basketball court every single day. Drugs would come by. Alcohol would be offered. I could have done anything or experimented with anything. But I I, I was just so repulsed by that. And I said, well, I... I saw what these guys did when they were on the stuff and crazy crazy stuff and, and to, to me I never I never saw it as the high life thank the Lord I could have but when that stuff would be offered whoop, no thank you I'm, I'm walking away I don't need that that's not where I'm going with my life that's not what I want to have a part of uh, but I recognize other people you know uh, because of how they were raised raised differently it, it can be a different story um, uh, two two ladies in my old church were going out, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. One lady um, uh, was, was uh, new in the Lord, very, very new in the Lord. And they were knocking on this door, waiting for someone to come. And next door, I mean, the houses were just r- so close. Next door, right here, was a crazy party. Drugs and alcohol and all kinds of smells coming from this place. And And the one lady said, oh, that is just so horrible. That that stinks. That's awful. And the other girl who was new in the Lord said, you know what? Something in me really wants to be over there right now. You need to pray for me. Well, what's the difference there? Two different backgrounds, two different uh, whole ideals of of how they grew up, and, and one being new to the Lord and so forth. And sometimes we have to practice these responses in order for it to be Become reflexive, to reflex. Now, when I think about this, this, this word eschew, I think of what, what immediately came to my mind uh, when I think of someone just looking away instinctively. I think of how we try to chain, to train our young men when it comes to the matter of lust. We teach our young men uh, don't, don't take a second look and a third look, and uh, you see some. Uh, some girl that's not dressed well, she's dressed provocatively. Don't follow her around trying to get a better vantage point. No, you look away. You look away. Um, uh, this is something that I believe men should do of any age, but we should start training our younger men. And here in this in this book, uh, it, it is not implicit here, but earlier, uh, it did talk about uh, how the the woman, should also uh, behave herself and dress herself uh, in, a, in a way that is with a meek and quiet spirit. And in, in, in chapter three, um, who, who's adorning, let it not be with uh, outward adorning, plaiting the hair, wearing of gold, or putting out of apparel, let it be the hidden man. Basically, uh, he's speaking that they would have a modest demeanor. And so certainly I think our ladies can help our young men with this by not presenting A temptation to them. But I want to just stop before I just move on and say this word eschew, how does it, where should it land in our lives? I think for sure, speaking to the men specifically, though it's not just men who would deal with this, we need to be careful when the presentation or the opportunity to lust occurs, we need to nurture a a reflex of eschewing that somebody says why I mean God created beauty and God created uh, you know this and oh it's, it's fine I and mean, you can look but you can't touch well <clears throat> one reason why I, this is not in the notes but I read in my devotions this morning happened to be in Proverbs 5 6 & 7 and you read Proverbs 5 6 and & 7 and then you come to this word eschew evil uh, you read Proverbs 5 and it talks about how if you look at after a stranger a a woman who is strange to you to lust after her you're you're pondering the path that leads to hell that's what it says you look it up her steps lay hold on hell in other words it's a big deal and it it, it goes on and boy, i tell you what if you struggle with lust if you struggle with lust read proverbs 5 6 and 7 every morning do it for a year it's actually kind of a scary passage. It talks about what you will reap with your life if you go this way. It talks about the destruction and how you'll be holden with the cords of your own sins and you'll reap in your own body. It talks about the things that you could reap in your body, physical problems because of your lust and the regret and the wailing and the moaning. Oh, I hated instruction. Why didn't I listen? If you want to avoid what Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 says, then you come to this book and you eschew evil. You learn to eschew it. You learn to quickly look away. That's not where I'm going. God's got me going this way. I have to, there's certain things I have to refrain from and restrain myself because God's called me. I'm going to eschew evil and go this direction. Look away. I do want to just say this because I believe it's helpful. And again, uh, one, one good thing about preaching verse by verse through the Bible is stuff just comes up and you bring it up when it comes up. And so no one can get mad at me for bringing something up when the Lord brought it up, right? Uh, <clears throat> with topical preaching, you could just harp on one thing forever. But on this note, speaking of eschewing evil, earlier in the passage he talked about ladies dressing modestly, That does help men with this. And as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to love one another and serve one another, I I do believe it is important for me to say here that some young men and some older men, frankly, but mostly the younger men, uh, have come to me throughout my ministry discouraged Because they fought such a battle with lust in the workplace and at school and wherever else they've been. And then they come to church and they look for a little window of rest. And they find, no, girls at church still dress provocatively and I still can't get away from it. I have to still eschew the evil even here. And it's discouraging. Now in our culture, uh, the, the guy who is in that situation, is just told, hey, you had a brain problem. It's your problem. Don't you tell the lady how to dress. She can do whatever she wants to do. You're responsible for you. And hey, I get the guy needs to be responsible for him. But we're all Christians here. And I have witnessed young men at a church activity eschewing evil in this context. And it's unfortunate. It's unnecessary. It should not be Brothers and sisters love one another. They're not going to purposefully, uh, or maybe not purposefully, uh, but present a temptation to fall for a brother while claiming, I've got liberty in the Lord, I've got grace, and so you, buddy, just need to figure it out. Now, some of our young ladies are unlearned. And uh, uh, they, just, they, they, they have not been taught and so on that note, I would say, first of all, it is incumbent upon every man in, in, in the, the assembly to make sure his wife knows what a man struggles with and to know, and make sure his daughters know what a man struggles with. And some of our men also need to, to recognize this. Some of you men are getting old, okay? You're getting old. And you have forgotten what raging hormones feel like You have forgotten exactly where you were at 19 and what certain things did to you but age is no excuse all right you still have a biblical responsibility to remember one way or the other what it is like for our young men and maybe you need to go talk to one maybe you need to talk to someone and say hey Uh, refresh my memory what's this like how should I be helping my daughters how should I be helping my household Uh, I I believe that women can dress in a way that is beautiful that is distinct that is modest Uh, women can dress in a way that glorifies the Lord and you don't have to wear a bag okay a bag with a hole for your head and two holes for your arms I think it can look good and it can be uh, even maybe even in style Not all the styles can we wear because the world doesn't use the Bible as a guidebook. Uh, But I do believe it is important for us to help one another. Young men, you need to nurture this response. You want to live a good life and love it? A good life is not chasing after women. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 says you're chasing death. You are sullying your soul. Learn now to look away, reflexively look away. Go a different direction. And young ladies, if you're in a situation and you see a young man is having a hard time looking at you, he doesn't know where to look at you. He doesn't have Tourette's, all right? He's not stressed out. He is having a difficulty knowing what to do in the situation, all right? Uh, And and, and I remember going with my dad, knocking on a door. Uh, We're giving gospel tracts out. My dad and I, this lady came to the door, and she must have come straight from the shower. She had hardly any. And uh, my dad uh, uh, gave her a spiel, gave her the tract, and he wasn't going to linger around. But I didn't know what to do as a young man. I'm kind of like, whatever. And she laughed at me. And she called her husband over, and how this young guy, isn't he cute, whatever? She thought it was so funny, I didn't know where to look. Well, we got away from that door, and I said, Dad, what are you doing in a situation like that? He said, look at her eyes and pray for her. She needs the Lord. And we're not going to linger. We're going to give her the gospel, and we're going on. You know, I, I learned from that. Uh, but I tell you, it is, it is incumbent upon us to, as brothers and sisters, take these matters, these biblical matters, seriously. Let's, let's, and let's do so with brotherly love, one to another. The meaning of a stew. It means to turn quickly from, turn instinctively from, a reflex. When I see that which is evil or could lead me to evil, I'm going this direction, and I'm going now. This also necessitates the replacement principle. It says, let him, uh, uh, let's see here, where'd we go? Uh, eschew evil and do good. This is an imperative. Do good means redirect your energies into that which is profitable to yourself and others. Doing good is both offensive and defensive. So maybe you're, you're enticed by lust. You're enticed to, to go over here and, and, and do, there are things that you should eschew, you should turn away from. Well, you should turn and immediately get busy. Getting busy is so helpful. Go work in the yard. Go mow the neighbor's grass. Go help the, uh, you know, some some, uh, woman in the church who maybe can't get out and do some things around the yard. Do busy. It's an offensive thing and a defensive practice for the believer. We were only created for god-given activities we need to eschew the ones that tend toward evil and recognize that without activity there is passivity and you're open for evil passivity leads to an openness to sin eschew evil instinctively and reflexively turn away and get busy taking your god-given talents and energies and use them for good Number three, pursue peace. If you want to live the good life and love it, you need to embrace restraint. Practice restraint. You need to prefer good over evil. You need to pursue peace. Um, Seek peace, the Bible says, and ensue it. Peace is the inheritance of the believer. It's the ultimate blessing and reward that God gives His children. It's that which the whole world is seeking but cannot find. Peace is that which no amount of money can buy. Think about that. Who has the most money? Is it Bezos or is it Musk? I can't remember. I think they trade back and forth. But neither one of those guys can purchase peace. But God gives it willingly to every believer who will Say, Lord, I want want what you want. I want to submit to you. I want to honor you. Peace can be forfeited by God's children. You have to pursue it. And you pursue it by pursuing Him. The Bible says in, in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If you want to have the good life, to live the good life and love it, practice restraint prefer good over evil, and then pursue peace. Be a peacemaker, friend. And the word ensue is another good word that we don't use today. And I like these King James words because they make us stop and think. Look it up. And what does this tell me? Well, not only does this word carry the idea of pursue, which you probably figured that, ensue, pursue, it just kind of seems to work, but it's more than that. If you look this up, the Greek word that underlies this word is translated in the King James Version most often as the word persecute. Now that's weird. Persecute. How in the world does that go? Uh, seek peace and persecute it. <laughs> what does it mean? Okay, when you think of persecution, what do you think of? I don't know about you, but I think of one guy's running. Another guy's following after. You're going to the stake, Christian. I'm coming after you. You're persecuting. You're chasing them. You're pursuing them. Here's the idea of this word ensue. It's the idea of to pursue after something with a vengeance, with passionate determination, with firm resolve. If you've read about the Spanish Inquisition, they ensued the believers. They pursued after them with passionate determination. And God says, I want you to pursue peace that way. I could get into that argument, but I'm pursuing peace with a vengeance. I could get distracted into all of that drama, but I'm pursuing peace with a vengeance And I am passionately determined, resolved to be a peacemaker, to bring peace to every situation that I can, to be a voice for God, a voice for good. And I will not be swayed. You're not going to pull me into your argument. You're not going to pull me into your fight. I'm not choosing sides. I am pursuing peace. I'll tell you what, that's that's a fast way to the good life. Are you living the good life and loving it? Pursue peace with a vengeance. Passionately and determinedly seek to be a peacemaker wherever God has put you. Two more here. I know you thought I was done. Two more very, very, very quickly. If you want to live the good life and love it, practice restraint, prefer good over evil, pursue peace and then Two more quickly. Practice God's presence, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. If you want to live a life that is good and love that life, practice the presence of God, that He is with you, He's watching you, He's leading you, He is involved in the, in, in, the, in the life of the righteous. Remind yourself that God is always with me, and nothing is hidden from His gaze. Remind yourself that God never loses track of me, regardless of how many times I lose track of Him. Wow. Remind yourself that the God who sees in secret shall reward openly. God is faithful. Remind yourself of, the, of this as you practice the presence of God. Remind yourself that the truest form of your relationship with God is revealed during the times when no one sees you but God. I want to say that again. Practice God's presence by reminding yourself that the truest form of your relationship with God is revealed during the times when nobody sees you but God. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what I think of you this morning. And I think highly of all of you that I know. Okay, It doesn't matter what other people think about you. What matters is, what does God see? What does God think of you? Are you living for His gaze and His gaze only? Are you practicing the presence of God? Practice His presence. He will see you through. And remember that freedom, freedom from God is bondage to the world. Seek only to please Him. Practice God's presence in five and fifthly finally prize God's favor his ears are open unto their prayers but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil if you want to live the good life and love it you need to practice his presence he's he's watching you but also not just that he's watching you he's hearing you his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil it is truly the good life when God's ears are always open uh, when when a child knows they have the ear of their of their parent, life is good. Life is good, and you and I can go boldly through the to, the to the throne of grace because of Jesus. Life is good, folks. You shouldn't take answered prayer for granted. You shouldn't take prayer for granted. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a, in a distressful situation of your own making? and found your prayers seem to not be working. That's That's one way to make a distressful situation much more distressful. But the good life is that life in which the child is in constant communication with the Father. Prize God's favor in your life. Don't stray. Keep in communication with Him. It's truly the good life when His face has not turned away from you The Bible says in that verse on the screen behind me, his face is against them that do evil. His face is representative of his manifest presence. Uh, Folks, he's always here, but he's not always, uh, uh, you, you may not always feel like he is. Our sin comes between us, and how terrifying a proposition it is to live one's life when God looks away. Well, does God do that? You know, there are times where God does. There are times where God sees what you're doing and it's as if He just kind of turns away. His face is against them that do evil. And in those moments, He is leaving you to your own way. He's leaving you to your own devices. And that's a scary thing. When God looks away, you're going to reap what you sow. The good life. The good life is when God turns His face to you. His smile, His protection, His comfort, and His blessing. Friend, are you living the good life and loving it? Are you prizing His favor? Are you practicing His presence? You know, the world has twisted all of this. The world has said, if you want the good life, you got to look out for you. you got to do it your way. you got to have more of this and more of that. And indulge, indulge, indulge. God says, I'll give you everything you need. At my right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Just taste and see that I am good. I'm not holding out on you. It's the world that is getting, giving you a, an epic bait and switch. It's not going to be there. What you think you're looking for is not going to be there. Are you living the good life and loving it? In conclusion, let's just review. Practice restraint. Prefer good over evil. Pursue peace. Practice God's presence and prize God's favor. And He will satisfy your need. Thank You, Lord, for Your goodness. Thank You for Your love. I pray that we would hear from You this morning and recognize that the God who restrains us is the God who frees us. Lord may we have a biblical perspective on what is a good life and may we as Christians yield to what your word says and believe it to be true and trust that you know what you're talking about help us to yield i pray that's about nice clothes no one's looking around we'll have an opportunity for you to do business with the lord you're welcome to pray at your seat you're welcome to pray here at the at the front if you like to pray with someone that's fine too but i'd like to invite you to pray and take these matters to the lord maybe it's the matter of restraint god's dealt with you maybe it's your lips maybe it's the matter of just uh, uh pursuing peace maybe it's the matter of eschewing evil practicing god's presence in his favor but whatever it is that God's touched you concerning, would you take a moment and respond to him? While Christians are praying, I want to say a word to those who may be here without the Savior. If there's one who would say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure if I died right now, I'd be in heaven, but I'm concerned about my soul. Here's my hand. Pray for me. You can just lift your hand up. I'd pray for you. If you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven, take a moment and just put your hand up. I'll pray for you. I'd like like to talk to you at some point. All right, I see that. Anyone else? I see that. Anyone else? Lord, I pray for these that raise their hand and I pray that you would help them to come to the place of saving faith. And Lord, I pray for those who are uh, here uh, this morning who are Christians. Lord, I pray that you would help each one uh, to Uh, follow you with whatever you've laid on their heart this morning heads are still bowed eyes are still closed take a moment Let's stand to our feet and we'll have a closing word of prayer here. I trust that you'll take God's word to heart. God's word is not intended to hurt you. It's intended to help you. Nothing I've said this morning was with any intent to frustrate or upset. If you're frustrated and upset, please talk to me. I'd love to clear that up if we can. But we want to let God's word heal us and help us as those who can be truly free, abounding in hope. Tonight at 6, we'll look forward to being back and uh, have our life groups where we'll break down some discussion questions for this morning's message. If you need the notes, they're online. Go to our live stream page, click on the notes button, and you can have the electronic version of the notes with the questions. Chew on some questions that you want to bring back tonight, and let's continue to let God's word change us this morning. I ask with Terry Boyd if you'd dismiss us in a word of prayer here this, this morning.